On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we are a week into free agency and we are at an unprecedented time in this world with the coronavirus shutting down cities and the world that we knew. And to address that, we will be joined today by the NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, who is advising the NFL and teams how to handle the medical crisis that is sweeping through our country. And we'll be joined by Mr. Buccaneer himself, Rondé Barber, who spent 17 years in Tampa, still lives in Tampa, and does television preseason work on Buccaneer games and has a real sense for how Tom Brady will fit in to that city and that franchise. But before we get to Dr. Sills and Rondé Barber, did you know Mina Kimes has a daily podcast called ESPN Daily. On today's episode, Monday, March 23rd, Mina talks about what Todd Gurley's release says about the state of running backs in the NFL. Make sure you never miss an episode by downloading and subscribing to ESPN Daily, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we jump into today's interviews, a quick word from one of our sponsors, BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness? preventing you from achieving goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, anger, grief, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient. Get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're unhappy with your counselors, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for my listeners, you get 10% off your first month with discount code Schefter. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com backslash Schefter. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Betterhelp.com backslash Schefter. And now, the NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills. And he is the man at the forefront of the NFL tracking the COVID-19 virus as it makes its way through the country. Dr. Sills, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Now, Dr. Sills, every day, almost every day, there's a conference call with you and teams, you in the league office, you and the commissioner, Whoever it may be, you always are the first voice that speaks to these particular people and debriefs them on where we are. What is your general message to the teams, to the league office, to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell as we begin to tape this podcast on Monday afternoon at 1230? Well, I think our overall approach, Adam, is that we're trying to have a very balanced approach here. Um, we, We have to take very seriously what the current public health recommendations are that are coming out about how we can all work together to, to change the course of this virus and its impact on our society. Um, and, and in doing so, we have to all ask ourselves the question, what's our part here? So we're trying to look at all aspects of our league operation and our clubs and see how we can assist them and assist with that effort. At the same time, um, we want to continue to remain optimistic um, and, and to look forward and, and to hopefully 
remain very educated with the latest advice and, and look what we can uh, anticipate over the next coming weeks and months as we execute our planning. What do you anticipate over the coming weeks as you begin to execute your planning? You know, it's, it's changing so rapidly, Adam, it's hard for any of us to know, but I think we're certainly in a phase where we're still um, on, on the early stage of this epidemic in our society in, in America, and so we, we can anticipate case numbers to go up. Um, and that there's going to continue to be a lot of strain put on our healthcare resources. So again, our part at the NFL is to ask how we can um, be responsible citizens and, and be uh, a, a part of that effort and, and, and all pitch in as we're all being asked to do right now with changes to our day-to-day routines uh, for the betterment of everyone. Have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime, Dr. Schultz? You know, I haven't, Adam. I've, I've seen obviously other global epidemics, and I've been part of other healthcare crises. I was just starting my medical training around the time that the AIDS epidemic really came on in full force. But I think this is different. It's unique because it is global in scope, because it is spread so rapidly, because we don't have anyone with immunity. And we don't have a vaccine or really any treatments at this point. So I think those are some unique features that, that really do make this different from any of those previous uh, epidemics or pandemics that we might have seen. You brought up the idea of asking what's our part here. What What is the NFL's part here as this crisis unfolds? Well, I think first and foremost is to lead uh, in our own business operations and, and follow the guidance and the recommendation of public health officials. So you know, uh, we were uh, obviously shut down last week in terms of our own NFL corporate offices with only, you know, very, very critical and essential personnel being present um, and, and making sure that those who were were practicing appropriate physical distancing measures. Um, I think also then it, it's important for us to, to spend a lot of time with educating our own employees and sharing information, and that's something that we've been doing as well. And then, obviously, we've canceled a number and modified a number of our public events and things that would normally be going on in order um, to, to avoid not only large gatherings but even unnecessary gatherings. So, you know, we're following the same recommendations as everyone. No one's having any in-person meetings. We're doing virtual meetings. We're doing phone conferences. And, again, our medical staffs at the club level are really mm-hmm. only doing medical care for those players who are – actively ill or who may be uh, undergoing rehabilitation or treatment after recent surgeries. When you hear last week, Dr. Sills, that Sean Payton comes forward and tests positive for the coronavirus, as many people will, he's the first, he won't be the last. What is your reaction at that time? You know, I think my reaction is what you just said, that, that he certainly, uh, he may not have even been the first, um, but he certainly won't be the last because we know that this virus is going to spread around through all elements of our society. Um, so there will certainly be other NFL um, coaches or, or maybe club officials. There'll be players. There'll be league officials. You know, everyone's going to be impacted by this. And I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, all of us are going to know someone personally um, who is affected. I think at the same time, I, it was um, uh, gratifying to see uh, Coach Payton, you know, make the statements that he did publicly and, and emphasize that he's been following the recommendations and, and is under care. And, and thankfully, at least, for the public appears to, to, to be mildly affected at this time. If a team is testing an employee, be it a player, coach, whoever it may be, if that happens in the future, if it's happened already, do they notify you or the league office that, hey, we've got a suspected case here? Because Sean Payton said that he thought he had it last week when I was talking with him. He told me on Monday that he thought he had it but didn't know with the testing and wouldn't know until later in the week, and then, of course, on Thursday, his doctor texted him the news that he tested positive. Do teams keep you abreast, or will they keep you abreast of the testing 
that's going on with particular individuals, Dr. Sills? Well, I would just say that, that we're available and, and, and are a resource for all of our club medical staffs, and, and I've been in regular contact with most of them. We actually had a call last week with all the team medical staffs, all the team athletic trainers and physicians, So, and, and I've been sending them some updates uh, periodically as well. So we're in regular communication, and, and everyone's aligned on what we need to do and how we need to do things uh, in dealing with this crisis. Obviously, I'm not involved uh, on an individual basis managing individual cases, but but we want to make sure that we're – uh, again, a resource for all our clubs, and again, as health professionals, we're all communicating with each other about the steps we need to take for for any of these positive cases that are that are turning up. And Dr. Sills, when you're on that call last week with the medical staffs of each team and the athletic trainers for each team, what is the one message that you want to convey to them during that call? Well, I think again, it's back to the issue of what do we all have a part to play here? What what should we do? And I think that the this is a unique opportunity for our health um, healthcare teams to be the resource for their teams to to speak um, to to their constituencies with each team and, and provide the education about what's really going on. There's a lot, unfortunately, a lot of misinformation that's out there. And again, and I think that they can provide a very useful service by educating everyone and by being being a voice of calm and by uh, being a voice of reason. Because as I said, I think we have to have a very balanced approach here. We have to take very aggressive, proactive measures to limit the spread of the virus and make sure that we don't overwhelm the healthcare resources. But at the same time, we want people to understand um, what's what's going on with the typical illness and what they should be monitoring for and how they should be doing that. So really, it was a chance to share as as medical professionals together and, and talk about again what each of us has an opportunity to do, not only in caring for our patients but in educating those organizations and making sure that they are complying with our, our, our public health recommendations to the fullest extent possible. Now, you're, you're the NFL's chief medical officer. You're also a brain surgeon. That's your day job. What's it like for you to have to tackle a problem that deals with infectious disease, not brain surgery? Well, you're, you're very right that uh, it's not something that I would have envisioned myself uh, spending 95% of my time doing, certainly during my training. But, but there, Adam, I'm really blessed that we've got some fantastic advisors and colleagues that work with us. We've been working for a number of years with uh, infectious disease experts at Duke. They run a program called DICON, which is a, an acronym that stands for Duke Infection Control Outreach Network. So they've been partnered with the NFL for a number of years and with the NFL Players Association in helping us reduce our risk and exposure to a variety of infectious disease. So we've leaned very heavily on them. I've certainly leaned on my colleagues at Vanderbilt who work in these areas as well as some of the other um, colleagues that I have who work uh, running hospital systems and are dealing with these public health issues. So thankfully, it's not a job for one person, but it, we're really um, a community of people working together. I've also been in pretty regular contact with the chief medical officers of Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL, because again, we're all leaning on each other, sharing and leveraging uh, our joint experiences and knowledge here. How much interaction is there between the leagues, and what does that accomplish when you're speaking to these other organizations, Dr. Sills? Well, we, we've had very regular we've had regular interactions for a long time. That's not new, but certainly those interactions have gotten a lot more frequent. Um, I just got off a call a few minutes ago with each of the the chief medical officers from those in, uh, organizations. I just think it's incredibly helpful because. Uh, we're obviously balancing um, the public health recommendations and what's known on a medical basis with the unique features and demands of professional athletics. So, so the issues are are, are very common to all of us, and, and and I think that we can share ideas and, and think about what the latest data and the latest recommendations mean to us and how we might implement it with the professional athlete population. Because 
there are obviously some nuances and some challenges there. So um, each of those chief medical officers have been a great resource to me, and I think we've, we've learned a lot from each other through this experience. You're a brain surgeon. You're a highly accomplished doctor. You've accomplished a lot in your life, Dr. Sills. Did you ever think we would be where we are in society today in crisis with a virus like this spreading the way that it is? You know, Adam, uh, I, I've been in medicine long enough to know that uh, whenever you think you've got it all figured out, something comes along and convinces you otherwise. Uh, and, and so uh, while I don't think any of us could have foreseen this exact set of circumstances, uh, the longer you're in medicine, you realize that, that disease is always changing and there are always new challenges. And that's, that's part of what makes our job um, very unique. But with that being said, I've also been in medicine long enough to have tremendous faith and confidence in our medical infrastructure and our resources and our scientists and our, our doctors, nurses, and other healthcare responders. I'm very optimistic, Adam, that despite the fact this being a major challenge, we're going to find a way to get through this. We're going to persevere. We're going to learn some lessons, and we're certainly going to be better prepared in the future. And, and I see us as a society and as a healthcare system emerging in, in an even stronger position. We're just in a time where we all have to hunker down right now and get through the worst of this wave. Um, but I'm very optimistic about um, where we'll move forward in the future. What gives you that sense of optimism, Dr. Sills? Well, I think, again, it's just knowing the resources that we have on hand as a healthcare system and a society. Um, we have so many incredibly talented and bright people who are working on this. On a worldwide basis, there are people who are working on treatments, who are working on vaccines, who are better understanding the epidemiology. And, and I just think if you take a look, for example, at the people who we work with at Duke in infectious disease, these are world-class experts who think about these things all the time. And so they've done a lot of modeling and preparations already to, to help guide us through situations like this. And again, if you look at hospital systems, there's always been a, 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 a mindset towards preparing for these types of disasters. So so I have confidence and optimism because of the people that we have deployed and because of the, 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 the history that I've seen over my medical career. You know, when I met a reference back earlier, when AIDS started, it was considered a death sentence. But through the hard work and the continued progress that a lot of people have made, you know, we've turned that into a completely different situation today. And so I think it's that same can-do spirit. I think part of that is a trademark of our American society, but it's certainly a future of our healthcare system and the people that work in it. You bring up the modeling, Dr. Sills, and I will say this. Last week was free agency, and I'm living in my own NFL news bubble for a week. And then when it slows down over the weekend for the very first time and I get to read the newspaper, on Saturday, while I was immersed in the New York Times, I saw these models of what's going to happen with this virus. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist, and I'm not trying to incite fear or anything like that. but those models indicated that we haven't even scratched the surface yet with this virus, and it's first going to really hit home in April and May. What's your reaction to that, those models that the Times are putting out there that somebody like me looks at and, quite frankly, gets very unnerved and unsettled by? Well, I think there's no doubt that we still have uh, some tough times ahead of us here. By that, I mean there's no doubt that that we're going to see more cases, that we're going to see more people affected, and unfortunately, we'll see more deaths. Um, so I don't want to minimize that at all. I think those are very stark realities, and those realities are what are driving us to take extremely aggressive and, and really unprecedented measures 
uh, about the um, way we conduct all aspects of our society. I mean, so I think that those models are are important and have to be heeded. At the same time, you know, you can find a variety of models, and that's because all models are built on certain assumptions. You you have to assume that certain facts are going to be true and aren't going to change to, to run those projections. And that's where I think no one really knows what the next few months will hold. We all have to hope and pray um, uh, that there are going to be some interventions that may affect the, some of the, the, the distributions in those models. Again, I mentioned before, vaccines or perhaps more uh, in a more short-term basis, medical uh, treatments or combinations, more widespread availability of testing that will allow us to better understand the disease prevalence. And also we'll get a better handle on exactly how severe is the disease in certain populations. So all of those things are going to allow us to continue to formulate the recommendations and the changes. Um, But make no mistake, um, we're certainly in still a a very critical time with this, and and there's still going to be um, suffering and and affected cases as we see moving forward. I think the big thing we all are keeping an eye on is what's the impact on the healthcare system and making sure we don't overwhelm those resources making sure that we're able to care for all the patients that need it. And and that's where, again, all of us have a responsibility. We talk about being responsible in how we interact with the healthcare system, how we use the healthcare system, when we seek care, and and how we're conducting our day-to-day affairs. So um, those things, I think, are are going to continue to be updated, not based on the models, but based on the reality of what we're seeing, you know, over the course of the coming weeks. So to anybody who's listening today, Dr. Sills, and we talk about responsibility to the healthcare system or responsibility to society, what would be your message to them, your final words today? Stay home as much as you can. Stay away in appropriate physical distance when you do have to go out. Um, continue to monitor yourself for any symptoms. If you do develop symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, um, muscle aches and pains, contact your healthcare provider. You don't need to go to the hospital or the emergency room for these symptoms unless you would have ordinarily done so. So, for example, if, if you have a mild fever and not that severe a case of symptoms, it would be appropriate to touch base with your healthcare provider, but you don't need to go into an emergency room necessarily. Use the same type of decision-making that you would normally use about when you need to seek uh, emergency room or, or hospitalization care. And other than that, take care and look after each other, and let's recognize that these are short-term sacrifices that we're all making. Um, and, and that we anticipate and are going to be optimistic about a better future down the road. Dr. Sills, I want to thank you very much for your time and your insights today. I really appreciate it and enjoyed it, and hopefully there are people that get to hear it and heed your words of advice. Thank you again for the time, and hopefully we can do this again very soon and get another update from you on your perspective on where we're at in the world today. Adam, thanks for having me. I'm happy to do it, and I'll look forward to chatting with you down the road. Thanks so much, Dr. Sills. Have a great day. Thanks. You as well. There's the NFL's chief medical officer, the Anthony Fauci of the NFL, Dr. Alan Sills. And before we're joined by the longtime former Buccaneer great Rondé Barber, first a word from NetSuite. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tacovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. If you want to take your company from $2 million to $10 million, 10 million to hundreds of million in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. With NetSuite, you'll get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. 
Run your entire business from anywhere, even if you're working from home. With NetSuite, you're covered. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 20,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. NetSuite business grows here. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide. Six ways to run a more profitable business at netsuite.com slash Schefter. That's netsuite.com slash Schefter. netsuite.com slash Schefter. And now, the former Buccaneers great, Rondé Barber. Joining us now, Mr. Buccaneer himself, the man who played 17 years with Tampa Bay, who now works as an analyst on Fox, but also does the Buccaneers games, the preseason games on TV, Rondé Barber. Rondé, thank you very much for joining us today. And I have to ask you, what has been the mood in Tampa since TB12 went to TB last week, Tampa Bay? Yeah, it it felt more um, uh, a small possibility until the, you know, the, the wave of, uh, inevitability started <laughs> rushing over everybody down here, at least that I know my friends and, you know, some of my colleagues just, it, it was almost improbable that it could even be a possibility. But then if, once everybody started talking about it and, 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 you know, my connections inside the box, um, yeah. they were saying, yeah, we, we want this guy. Uh, if he's available. And we looked at all these quarterback, these free agent quarterbacks, including Jameis, been that same boat. Uh, and if somebody was going to replace Jameis Winston, it was going to have to be somebody like Tom Brady, maybe a Teddy Bridgewater, if if, if this one fell through. But it had to be somebody with uh, with this kind of credit credibility. And so when you know it started to look more and more likely, uh, you know you, you saw the reaction. Ticket ticket sales went went up. Um, um, you know people commenting on social media, is this true? Are you guys pulling my leg? But the reality of it is, I think it's a good fit. You know, Tom seems like he wants to have fun at the end of his career, and I don't think he can come to a better place to do that than than Tampa here with uh, with BA and uh, Byron Leftwich, you know, helping him finish what is a fantastic career and hopefully help turn a franchise around. It, it's an interesting but obvious question I want to ask in regards to that. What will his arrival do for that franchise from somebody who knows that franchise just about better than anybody? Sure. I mean, from a leadership perspective, it's immediate. Um, and, and, I, and I don't mean that in a way uh, that there wasn't leadership there before. Obviously, there's uh, quality leaders on on the, this football team already. Uh, Levante David's been the voice or the face of this defense for a long time. But you added a JPP a couple of years ago, another great get by Jason Light. Um, uh, you have some veterans on the offensive line, Jenkins, Ali Marpet, I think, is going to be a great, great pro eventually. So there's voices there, uh, Mike Evans, without even mentioning some of the skill positions. But just the manner in which Tom Brady goes about doing his job that you've seen over the course of your career, that I've seen having watched and studied him and practiced with him in 2012, my last year in the league, like you get this sense that he's always searching for perfection. And I think some of that professionalism can rub off on, on a football team that's kind of been looking for that. Um, I've, I've told some people, I had a, a, an article with SI with, with the guy, local guy here, and I was like, people don't remember that Hardy Nickerson changed the face of our franchise back in 95 or whenever he got here. And Hardy left in 99, I believe it was, 2000, before our Super Bowl. 
And the imprint that he put on our football team was there long after he's already gone. So I, I'm taking it as that kind of step for this franchise. You bring in a proven guy who understands how to be a pro, and it'll rub off on some of the younger guys. You mentioned, as a guy who played in Tampa from 97 to 2012, you practiced against Tom in 2012. Yeah. So that was basically intra-squad practices, which have become very common in the NFL. Patriots mm-hmm. versus Buccaneers. I think you were in New England, or did they come to you? They came to us. That was Shiano's oh. first year down here. He came to us. Yeah. Ah, so, okay, so Greg Shiano's first year, New England comes down to Tampa because Greg Shiano and Bill Belichick are very close. What do you remember about your practices against and your interaction with Tom Brady that week? I think I, I think I remember him going 24-27 in pass scale. <laughs> 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 a ball not a ball not hitting the ground, uh, and even some of the completions were, uh, you know, they weren't exactly to his liking. So it, it, you got a sense of. Um, of, of what he demands from his players. That's the nice way to put it. He, he is, he's intense. You know, he, I, I've, I've heard stories about, you know, how, how he prepares himself and how he, um, gets his team to prepare in that same fashion. And I saw it firsthand, uh, in those two days that we practiced with them. Um, and it was just, just the way he went about his, the air about him, the air about the way that he went about his job was to me it struck me as something that I hadn't seen before. I mean, we, we had Brad Johnson here. Brad was a professional, our Super Bowl winning quarterback. He was a pro. Um, but this guy just he, – he had this this sense that uh, if it didn't go right, we are either doing it again or we were going to find a way to fix it. And it, it was just it – was, it was kind of a treat because I think uh, our Super Bowl teams on defense, um, our Super Bowl team and leading up to that Super Bowl, we had that same kind of the, the demand, you know, that accountability, that – Looking at each other in the eye and, and hey man, this that that's your job. Do your job, and we'll all be okay. So that, that's that's kind of what I anticipate from him. How much interaction did you have with him during the course of your career, including that we could practice like personal stuff? Do you ever have a conversation with him? You ever ever appeared in an off season event function with him? Did you ever have any kind of relationship with the guy? No, not not really at all. I mean, I, I would say that I know him, but I don't really know him. Um, I don't know Tom very well. I think my brother has a little bit. Uh, has had more interaction with him uh, up and up and around your way, um, but I, I wouldn't say that I know him very well at all. Um, it's uh, and it's not uh, not because I wasn't trying to know him. Just we just we didn't we didn't walk in the same circles. I spent most of my time in Tampa. And I don't yep. know that he spent any time in Tampa other than when he's had to play here or practice here that one week. So, um, but from from what I understand, uh, uh, he he's likable to to a great extent, but, you know, when he's on the job, man, he's on the job. That's that's what this team needs, I think. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is truly one of the most genuine players I've met. And in my world, you don't get to interact as much with the players, but yeah. truly genuine and caring and a nice person, a nice yeah. person, a nice man, sincerely. That's good to hear. And, and, and one of the big – that brings up a question that a lot of people have asked me about yeah. him and I'm and I I give them the same answer that I just gave gave you Adam and I, I don't I don't have a personal relationship with him but everybody mm-hmm. wants to know how he's going to um interact in this community. Uh, this is a different community than anything up in the northeast. It's not a big school or not a big city. It's probably the 13th or 14th biggest market, uh which is not small but it still feels homey. You know, you feel still feel like you go outside and you know people here. 
um, he will be the biggest fish in this market that, that, that's ever been. And I said this the other day too, and no disrespect to me and Derek and Warren Sapp, all these guys, this, he is a genuine, everybody who ever sees him knows who he is kind of superstar. Uh, and, uh, we haven't had that on a football team here you know, other, other than maybe Keyshawn Johnson for, you know, for those couple of years where, you know, he can go out anywhere and everybody's going to know him. So I'll be interested. You probably have a better perspective on this, how he interacts with people around him. Cause this is a well, very f- fan friendly type of environment down here in Tampa. Well, it is fan friendly. And I'm just thinking of all the teams that have been in Tampa. We'll get to Tom fitting in there in a moment, but has there ever been in any sport at any time in Tampa, a player who's more high profile than Tom Brady? The answer is no, right? Not the Tampa no. Bay Lightning, not the Tampa Bay uh, baseball team, right? Yeah. If there was Nobody. anybody, it would be, it, it, if it was anybody, it would be some of the Lightning players, and I wouldn't be able to tell you that. No way. You can't compare that to, to Tom Brady. I would say John Gruden would be yeah. up there yeah. as somebody great, who's high that's profile, a great call. right? That's a great call. Um, and, he, you know, he was larger in life when he came here, Gruden speaking, uh, when he came here from, from Oakland, and you know, because he had the whole Chucky uh, persona uh, that, you know, when you have a persona like that, everybody, regardless of whether they love or hate you, they, yeah. they relate to you. Uh, and, and, and Tom Brady's got that, to me, he's got that same kind of, uh, uh, stigma about him. You either love him or you hate him, but one way or another, you respect him because he's a hell of a quarterback. So Tom Brady now becomes the most high profile athletic player, athletic figure to ever work in Tampa. We just came up with that. And what uh, I would say well, is, well, yeah, let's say the, the one caveat is that the Yankees are down here during spring training. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand it. But by the way, by the way, who's more high profile? Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez. You tell, I mean, I'm just asking. You tell me. Oh, wow. That's a great question. That is, you know what? That's a great, great question. Uh, I, I, I would say with all due respect to Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez, who are world-class players and incredibly well-known Tom Brady, I think, is at a different level. Yeah, and it just, it, 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 again, it's no disrespect for those two. It's just that he's Tom Brady, right? Right. He's, <laughs> he's playing the most popular sport, you know, with the most championships. Um, I, I, I just think he, I think he tops those other guys by a little bit. And by the way, yeah. those other guys, yeah, they they had spring training in Tampa, but it wasn't like Tampa was their season long home. Yes, where people were going to consume them, do their work, yeah. Yeah, if you want to introduce them to the conversation, that's fine. I still think Brady tops him. And so to get back to your question, Rondé, you said how he'll fit into the community and how he'll fit onto the team. Well, you heard the story that when he was signing his contract with Tampa, he just wanted the phone numbers of all the players so he can call them, which I could totally see him doing. So he reaches out to all the players, begins to get to know them, begins to set a tone as a certain leader. And then the other thing is, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, I, I don't think Tom is concerned about how he's going to fit into the community so much as he's concerned about how he's going to elevate the level of play of that team and his own performance. His focus is not going to be fitting into the community. His focus is going to be winning Super Bowls and championships yeah. and, and having the best season possible. And he's coming there to Tampa for a minimum of two years, we think. And so he's consumed with winning. 
That that's what he wants to do. So winning is the goal there. And the other stuff that you're referring to, like community, I, I'm sure it's on his mind because I've been with Tom at charity events. He's been a part of Best Buddies in Boston. He's done it every year, even as his star grew. He kept going back, kept hosting all the fundraisers, attending all the events, being as warm with the kids in 2017 as he was in 2005. There was no difference. And that's why I speak about his genuineness. But again, his focus is going to be on football. Football. Well, it's, it, it, and it should be because this is a team that's, as you know, it's, it's close. You know, it, it feels like an attractive place to be right now, Tampa. And it's been a long time, as you know, it's been a long time since yeah. there's been any kind of national narrative around Tampa in a, in a way that says this team is good enough to play in the Super Bowl. Because right? when I look at what they have on defense, I think they're they're close. They're young in the secondary, of course. Um, but what he's going to be working with on, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, it's it, it to me, it, it, he Chris Godwin, and this is a, small, a short way to get around to Chris Godwin. We know what Mike Evans is. He's one of the most dominant players mm-hmm. in the NFL at the position. Chris Godwin working with a Tom Brady, I, I think is going to be – uh, explosive. I mean, I look what he's done with Julian Elliman and on all the, the slot receivers that he's uh, had in New England. And I think Bruce Arians' offense emphasizes that Z position, the position that Chris Godwin plays, obviously the one that uh, Heinz Ward and Larry Fitzgerald made famous. And I'm thinking how many opportunities Chris Godwin's going to have to have the ball, football in his hand on the, on the move. And as good of a season as he had last year, I, I think he's going to have the, a even bigger jump this year with a with a with a better quarterback uh, throwing the football to him. So it, it, to win, yes, he has the pieces to win. To, to me, in order to win in the NFL, you need genuine leadership and you need it from your best player. And I think they got that in this guy. You brought up the defense of Tampa Bay, and I think that's the thing that people overlook and underestimate because. Tampa, since you left in recent years, hasn't had a very good defense. But the defense in last year showed dramatic improvement, and there are some really good young players there. How good is this defense, Rondé? Look, they have great linebackers. Levante David, I I say it a hundred times over, he's the most underrated maybe player of his generation. The guy is so good, but he's been – uh, uh, overshadowed by the Luke Keekleys of the world playing inside linebacker. He gets listed as an outside linebacker, so he's not getting those sack numbers that put him uh, uh, in the Pro Bowls and all pro consideration. A guy, is he is a completely solid football player. And then you drafted Devin White last year, who by the end of the last season was as good as any rookie linebacker in football, if you ask me. I mean, his production really started to, to play into the expectation that they had with him before. Then you look at Shaq Barrett, JPP on the front line, rushing the end, Vita Vea at nose tackle. I mean, they, there's not a hole. They, they got some youth in the secondary with Sean Murphy bunting starting and Carlton Davis at the one corner. They might need a safety. But in, in, if you're looking at a, com- a complete team, a team that's count- balanced, too. Give Mike Greenberg a lot of credit for this, who I know you know. Uh, yes. Balancing a football team with, with, with veterans, but, but youth through the draft that are actually playing that are contributing. And so I look at them with with huge upside. Even though they finished last season well, they're going to go into this season, 2020, on a high note. And with with youth and a high note and, and higher expectations now that you have Tom 
freaking Brady as your quarterback, I think it <laughs> rises all tides, you know, especially on that side of the ball. I mean, they're, they're, I, when, when we won our Super Bowl, we knew that it was we were winning because of our defense. It's hard to do that in the NFL anymore. Some teams have done it. Denver, obviously, Peyton Manning won his with, with his Denver defense. But it's hard to do it anymore without having an offense that can answer. They have an offense that can answer now, plus a, a, a surging, in my mind, a surging defensive group. I mean, they, they should be there. There's no reason they shouldn't be there come this, this coming year. So can this team, Ronnie, win a Super Bowl? Hey, I, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I did something for Bucks.com, and I was like, if they do, that's legendary. I mean, that's some serious legendary stuff. If he comes, uh, gets off the bus from New England, comes down here, walks them to a Super Bowl, and they win it in their home stadium. You know, that's, that's you know, you, you couldn't make a movie better than that. But I think we can't dismiss the fact that you have to you have to enjoy the journey of it, too. You have to enjoy the OTAs whenever they start, the phase twos, phase threes, training camp uh, when that gets going. And then once you get into the season, your journey begins. And at the end of the day, if your journey has been good enough to get you there, then yeah, but but to me, they're good enough. Absolutely, they're good enough. They might be a couple of pieces away, one or two pieces away, and Jason Light probably has his work cut out for him to find those pieces in the draft and free agency in this in this current climate of, in the country. But I, look, I, I I don't see any reason why they can't make a, an exponential jump uh, in in one off season. And by the way, I don't know that Tom Brady's had a legendary enough career. He needs something like that at the end of his career to really put the stamp on it for him to remember him as a great quarterback. Like, he's got to do something memorable in Tampa. Otherwise, people might just overlook everything that he's accomplished in his career. Yeah. Who was that number 12 in New England, by the way? I forget his name. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. That guy. I think he he finished in Tampa or something. Yeah, you're you're right. You brought up the fact that it was going to take a quarterback like Tom Brady to dislodge a guy like Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. What happens with Jameis Winston in your mind right now? I yeah, that's a great question. I've had to answer this a bunch, and look, I I I love a lot of the stuff that Jameis did over those five years that I I watched. I mean, I watched every single one of their games, so I I knew the highs, I knew the lows. The highs were 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 grandiose, but the lows were rock bottom. You know, some of his decision making, even into this past year were just kind of inexplicable. I I think, this is just me, I think he needs to find a situation, a coordinator, quarterback, coach, head coach, whoever, uh, that's going to give him a chance to protect himself from himself. I mean, you almost have to call plays. This is, again, just my opinion. You have to call plays that protect him from making the mistakes that he continually makes. Because his interceptions became almost predictable. Like, you knew he was having a good game. I think uh, the last... Uh, week uh, 15 and 14, he had 450 yards and four touchdowns. And but you almost knew that an interception was coming somewhere. You know, he's got to get to a point in, into a system where his his coordinator is not going to put him in position to throw that that interception, right? And I, I don't know where that is. I don't know if it's at a, at a team that's not quite there yet. Uh, probably as a backup somewhere. And don't ask me where that's going to be because every place I read, nobody's interested. Uh, but I can't believe that a guy with his kind of talent, his kind of arm talent, won't be in the NFL next year. Somebody will, somebody will take a chance on him and see if they can see if they can fix, you know, those little tiny issues that have make make for such huge mistakes on this football team. Well, let me say this, Jameis, in all probability, it's not not a shot, 
this offseason always was going to have more quarterbacks than starting jobs. And so he didn't get one of the starting jobs. I don't think he's going to get one of the starting jobs now. And because of that, you want to put yourself in a situation where it's the best backup spot, like Ryan Tannehill had in Tennessee last year when he backed up Marcus Mariota. Mariota struggled. He took over, shined, parlayed that into a big, brand-new deal. And that's what I think Jameis Winston is looking for, the best backup situation, because a starting job is not going to materialize. I don't expect the Chargers to be interested. I don't expect the Mm -hmm. Patriots to be interested. So you tell me where else Jameis can go where he would fit, and there is no other spot. So go find the best backup spot behind a guy who is not completely solidified in that starting role and go make it happen from there. Yeah, yeah, either that or he ends up, you know, um, you know, like you mentioned Mariota. Mariota goes to Oakland, and he's backing up Derek Carr right now. But, you know, he can go back up a starter, a known starter. You never know when injury is going to play a point. We've seen that over the years. So so if you look at the landscape of the 32 teams, which one of those fit his personality as a quarterback? And I mean, there's, I mean, Pittsburgh seems obvious, right? But I don't think that they're interested. Um, um, you know, it could be any of those, those, those offenses, big, a big, um, um, you know, 60% 11 personnel offenses that are out there. That's where I see him ending up as a backup in one of those situations. And I don't, I don't, I don't know where that is necessarily. I don't know where, where, uh, what, what teams could be coveting that. And, but the problem with Jamison, cause like you said, he was looking for a big day. He was looking for that $30 million starting quarterback type of deal. And I, and I think people are going to wait him out. Teams are going to wait him out now and he's going to be, he'll still probably be sitting around in another week or two. Yeah. So let's look ahead to the summer round. Hopefully football's back. No guarantees. We can only keep our fingers crossed. But let's say you're getting ready for the Buccaneers' first preseason game. I know Tom Brady's not going to play a lot. What is that going to be like for you calling a Bucs game on TV where the quarterback of that team (laughs) is Tom Brady? Yeah, right. Uh, I, I know my uh, my preseason partner Chris Myers is already gearing up. He said he, he called me the day after or the day before he signed, and uh, he was asking me about preseason stuff already. I'm like, I'm not, right? even, I'm not even I'm not even ready to talk about uh, my my kids' off season yet. Football, uh, notwithstanding. <laughs> so, um, but look, we we know all the hype's going to be. I mean, I'm sure we'll have. Uh, footage of practice, we'll have interviews with Tom and with his coaches and with his teammates and have you know, how he's interacting. Um, again, it, it, it raises the profile. I mean, that it, we'll, we'll have national attention down here uh, regardless. And it's been a while since it's been a truly national draw down here in Tampa. Um, so it, to me, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be a great, great way to introduce this uh, "Quote unquote unknown commodity to the Tampa Bay football team." <laughs> yeah, how about that? Uh, this, yeah, this great quarterback that's uh, that, that's grabbing the reins. I will be interested though, for honest, for in all seriousness, from a football X's and O's perspective, I'll be interested to go to practice in the in the off season and in in, in training camp and and see how he how he translates how what he did in New England translates to these guys. Um, and I imagine. You know, Byron and Leftwich and, and Clyde Christensen as quarterback coach. I'm sure they'll Im- implement some of the elements that he's familiar with. Bruce did that with Carson Palmer, uh, in Arizona. So it'll be interesting to see how all that starts to meld together. And, and if 
his influence is as big as uh, uh, or bigger than what Bruce Arians was brought to this team last year. That's going to be one of my talking points in the preseason. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Hey, Rondi, five-time Pro Bowl selection, three-time All-Pro selection, one-time Super Bowl champion. Really appreciate mm-hmm. you joining us today. Enjoy, Tom, down in Tampa, and I can't thank you enough for the time today. Hope you and your family stay safe down there. Yeah, likewise. Stay safe. Well, I will see you soon, buddy. Football's right Thanks, around the corner. <laughs> I appreciate you, and I appreciate the time. Okay. There's the TV analyst of the Buccaneers preseason games, man who does color commentary for Fox during the season, Rondé Barber. Special thanks to Rondé and special thanks to the NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, who is advising the league office and teams today on how to deal with the crisis that is impacting every single one of us. And thank you to the listener to tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. I hope everybody stays indoors, stay safe this week, and we'll be back again next week for another edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. Until then, stay safe, everybody.